This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter with the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Would you be willing to pay someone to gather your items for purchase at Target or Costco and bring them to the curb to, for you to pick up and pay for? Or for, would you be willing to pay for home delivery of groceries? New startup companies Curbside and Instacart are, offer these services. And their potential profitability depends on the, their ability to manage transactions costs for us. The management, control, and reduction of what economists call transactions costs is behind much of our prosperity today. And yet transactions costs remain an almost invisible force in many policy discussions regarding our economy. Joining me on eConversations today to talk about some of the ways in which transactions costs matter is a very distinguished economist, Dr. Michael Munger from Duke University, where he's the director of the joint UNC-Duke program on philosophy, politics, and uh, economics. Dr. Munger is an internationally known scholar in this area of uh, politics and economics, and he's past president of the Public Choice Society, as well as author of dozens of highly influential articles, and I might say, stepping outside of the academic circles, a former Libertarian uh, Party candidate for governor of North Carolina. Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to be on the show, Dan. Thanks. Just bef before we get to transactions costs and these new companies that are uh, potentially affecting our lives, I want to talk, have a, uh, have a chance to talk a little bit about this program in philosophy, politics, and economics, or, or PPE. And what's the importance of trying to join these different fields together? Well, I think what's important is kind of raising the question why they were ever divided in the first place. So we think of Adam Smith as being the first economist, but in some ways he was the last moral philosopher who took up economics as being part of what philosophers do. Now, um, John Stuart Mill and a few other philosophers were still interested in the problem during the 19th century, but certainly by the time Alfred Marshall became the first technical economist in the, the end of the 18th century, um, economics had gone off into the study of market institutions without the consideration of ethics. And I can see why, and as a professional economist myself, I can see why this has some advantages professionally. Because economists have their own journals, philosophers have their own journals, political scientists have theirs, and so there's professional advancement. But that doesn't mean that it's a good model for students. And so the PPE program started at Oxford in England in the 1920s, partly because the program of study that they'd had, which they called classics, didn't do a very good job preparing people to run an empire. And so PPE became a, a, a way of looking at the past, but trying to derive from it lessons about the future. So how should we think about institutions and how should we think about the ethical problems that happen in real world markets? So I, I find it very exciting because I get to question some of the assumptions I may not even have thought about, but mm -hmm. I also get to challenge philosophers. Right. And, and so you know, we mentioned how these different fields are now very separate and actually within our own fields we probably highly specialize as, a, as economists. So this is an attempt to sort of reintegrate uh, our different disciplines and different areas of knowledge, right? Yes, it is. Now interdisciplinarity is a buzzword mm -hmm. at universities, but I worry that interdisciplinarity is people who take a couple of courses and 
in a couple of different disciplines. And confusion is not a perspective. So interdisciplinarity actually requires that you master one and then do something in another. Mm -hmm. So my PhD is in economics. I've been in political science since 1986, but now almost all of my publications are in philosophy. Mm -hmm. So you might infer from that, well, to really be interdisciplinary, you have to be old. But I, I hope that's <laughs> not true. I hope we can achieve an interdisciplinarity while at the same time encouraging students to master economics. So I worry that you know they'll, they'll, they, people just want to study the ethical aspects of markets without taking real economics classes. I think that's a mistake. So I, I think the core of PPE is the, the traditional core in economics, microeconomics, intermediate microeconomics, macroeconomics, the study of financial institutions. But then you start asking questions about philosophy. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want interdis interdisciplinarity for its own sake. Interdisciplinary studies should be harder, not easier than the traditional disciplines. And I think that's an important part of it, that you do need to be integrating with expertise in these different fields and not just a little bit of this. Because confusion is not a perspective. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I want to talk about the, a couple of, you know, some new startup companies because you were just recently uh, quoted in a, a newspaper article t trying to comment on some of these startup companies out in, in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area and you know their, what their potential contribution to our economy might be. And so here's a couple that you, you mentioned. So if you could tell us a little bit more about these uh, businesses and what they're trying to do. <clears throat> I think economists often start kind of in the middle without having people understand why it is that markets are so important. Mm -hmm. So to, let me take one step back and then integrate why we would care about these. The reason that voluntary exchanges are better off is that it means both parties to the exchange, or all parties to a voluntary exchange, are better off. Mm -hmm. And so the more of them that we have, the more people are able to improve their position, the way that they go about their daily lives. Now, that would be true even if we just had a fixed amount of stuff and we were trying to reallocate it. But it's really true once you allow production, once you allow people to specialize and to use division of labor. Now, the thing that division of labor causes is a complex dependency, a voluntary dependency, but a dependency. I could not survive on my own. So if I'm a concert violinist, I'm very specialized, but I can assume that food, power, all the things that I need to run my life are going are to be there because mm -hmm. other people are going to find it in their interest to provide it. So the question is, how can we as a society encourage individuals because only individuals can figure this out. Society can't figure it out. Society's dumb. Individuals are smart. But a smart society uses individuals to figure out how to reduce the transactions costs, the costs that prevent us from engaging in exchange. If we can find a way to encourage new exchanges, it makes both parties to the exchange better off. Now, that may seem trivial, but one really big exchange that makes both of us better off, that's great. But a hundred exchanges we hadn't thought of before, all mm -hmm. of which make us better off. That's terrific. And so when I say transactions cost, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later on, but the, the, the problem of transactions cost is the one that we see here. What these companies do is reduce the cost of engaging in market transactions. So one way I try to tell students about this, economists have a concept that they call consumer surplus, which sounds technical and difficult. But what it really is, is how much would you pay for a ticket to enter the market? 
So if I got access to some market, how much would I pay for a ticket to do that? Mm -hmm. Because it's the addition, additional value in addition to what I have to pay. Right. Most of the time, I wouldn't pay anything because the costs of engaging in the transaction are so high, it's not worth it. So I may not go to, I, I, I want, I'm working on something, uh, I have a dinner party and I'm missing an ingredient and I need to go to the store and get that one ingredient and I think, no, I'll just make something else. But if I could get on my phone and have an Uber driver or uh, Instacart uh, deliver something, then I can have that ingredient, I'll make something else, and in 15 minutes, it'll be there. Mm -hmm. So the, the problem is, it would take me a long time to call the grocery store, tell them to find someone, and then tell them the directions. But if I have that already all set up, all I have to do is type in the name of what I want, and it'll appear almost as if by magic 15 minutes later. Now, you wouldn't think of that transaction as being one you could make money by providing. I need some oregano. Well, the, 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 the surplus there is maybe 50 cents or a dollar. Mm -hmm. How can somebody make, make a profit, make a living by selling that? And the answer, again, is division of labor and specialization. If somebody specializes in that, you have this complex, I get goosebumps just thinking about it, this <laughs> complex dependency that nobody designed, that nobody said, here's how you should live your lives. But they're occupying a niche where I'm much better off because I get my oregano. My wife doesn't say, you idiot, you forgot the oregano. No, I didn't. I, I've already ordered it, sweetie. And this person delivers it. They make 25, 30 cents. But they have enough transactions like that. They can make a living doing it. So if we get rid of the transactions, we have a proliferation of mutually beneficial exchanges. The size of the value on the upside that's created by that is unlimited. And so you know, companies, new startups like this may or may not succeed, but they're, to the extent that they can, they will do so by helping manage or reduce the transactions costs and by dividing up the, you know, the, the fact that you may only need oregano and need their services once in a, a month or so, but there may be thousands of others or hundreds of other people who need a similar service. Dan, I'm not very smart. I probably need their service at least <laughs> once a week. I forget stuff. And instead of stopping on the car on the way home, if I could pay 25, 30 cents for delivery charge, mm -hmm. that's way better than me going inside, getting the oregano, waiting in line. Even if I remembered it, I think I'll just order it as soon as I get home. Mm -hmm. So the, the thing that makes these transactions useful is a whole set of activities that I before wouldn't have done mm -hmm. or would have carried out myself, both of which have much higher costs. One, in transactions that don't take place. The other, in the opportunity cost of my time. I think it's actually hard to imagine how many of these will succeed. And that's the thing that I really want to emphasize. And I know you know this, but this is something that you and I often, I think, assume and don't, don't say enough to other people. Which of these is going to work? We don't know. You and I don't know. We're experts, and we don't know. The point is that we'll figure this out by activities that produce re revenues above and beyond the costs, the profit test. Right. The profit test will tell people which of these work and which ones don't. So when people ask me, and I get this question all the time, well, a lot of these won't work. That's right. I don't know which ones. Mm -hmm. But five years from now, the ones that have worked will produce an enormous amount of value compared to the relatively small amount of value that a few companies that fail lost due to experimentation. The net result is a gigantic increase in welfare. 
Well, let's let's go into this uh, concept of transactions costs a little bit more because I, I think you know, as an economist, it's one of the ones, it's one of the elements of economics that I, I don't think we ever really stress enough as economists. You, you all so rarely hear it brought into discussions of, of economic policy, although it's extremely important in terms of helping shape the, the shape of our economy and, and our progress over the, the years. So, what briefly are transactions costs? The brief answer is that transactions costs are the costs of a transaction or exchange that in a competitive market are more than the opportunity cost of the resources that are used to produce whatever it is that we're making. Because in a, in a competitive environment, price will be driven down to the value of the opportunity cost of the resources. It'll be driven down to the cost of production. Everything else is a transactions cost. So negotiating, finding, information about figuring out whether or not it's as high quality as I expect, carrying it home, putting it in a package. So all of those things, transportation, mm -hmm. all of those things are transactions cost. The, the problem is that we often can't draw a very firm line. I can give that simple definition, but it's hard to draw a line. When I buy something, the total costs of that thing or the price that I pay for it, some of which are transactions cost because they may have to do with the reputation, the brand name. Mm -hmm. So I pay, I pay more for something that I think has high quality than something that's generic. So even in the price itself, the reason I was careful to not say the price is that even the price itself may contain some transactions costs. Mm -hmm. So it's, it would be the generic product that's the price. Everything else is transactions cost. And for so many exchanges, we don't engage in these exchanges because we either don't trust ourselves to be able to find what we need, or we don't trust the other person to provide it. And we wouldn't even think about trying to negotiate it. So I right. often need help in my yard. And I could go down to the corner and see if I could find somebody who would be willing to work. We could negotiate a price. They could come home. They'd be outside working in my yard. You know, maybe they get hurt. Maybe they don't work very hard. They steal stuff. Uh, maybe I want to rent somebody's apartment. I mean, can you imagine walking around the streets of New York, knocking on doors, saying, can I rent a room for the night? They're going to call the police because they'll <laughs> think you're a crazy person. But there's a bunch of empty rooms in New York that somebody would like to rent. And there's a bunch of people in New York that would like to stay someplace that's better and cheaper than the hotel rooms that are in New York. There's so many transactions that don't take place because of this is an example of transactions cost. Mm -hmm. So it's not just finding, but it's also reputation. The whole set of things that are in addition to the generic cost of the product are transactions costs. And over time, certainly our, our lives have improved because transactions costs have been reduced. And here's this uh, transportation costs are probably the most visible way that we, we can illustrate this. But you know, the, the fact that in the past we had to rely on horse and you know, horse-drawn wagons or people to carry things and now we have you know, planes and trains and, and ships I mean it certainly you know helps make a global economy possible and, and that's made our lives better off so if you looked a <clears throat> hundred years ago most things that didn't come from let's say a circle 10 miles around we live in a city let's draw a circle 10 miles around it anything that came from outside that circle more than half of its cost was transactions cost. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, 10 times its actual price was transactions cost. 
So there has been an explosion in reducing transactions cost of all kinds. And probably the most important one is transportation. We'll talk about some others in a minute, but the most important one is, is transportation. One of the biggest things there was the, what I think is the first example of the sharing economy. And that's container boxes. Because container boxes, you're reusing packaging. Mm -hmm. Now a container box is way more expensive than a cardboard box. So it seems like, well, we can reduce the cost of packaging by using a cardboard box instead of a container box. But of course, what we're doing then is sharing the packaging. We're, we're, you have to have a market to handle the, the buying and selling and leasing now of container boxes. Somebody has to produce them. So a whole new product, a whole new specialized activity comes into place. But having container boxes means that you can now offload using a crane. You don't have to have hundreds of stevedores. Now, this is bad for the stevedores, of course. And in fact, the reason that New York and San Francisco are no longer ports is that the stevedores union was so strong that they prevented the use of container boxes, which means welcome New Jersey and San Diego, because mm -hmm. now they're, they're, they're set up for container boxes. So the, the, that, that made the cost of something from China or Japan go from maybe $3 to $1.50, whereas before, the, the, co the price of the thing itself is $1 in Japan, and $2 of transportation costs. Now it goes down to $1.50 with only 50 cents transportation cost. It's a new world. Yeah. So the, the first example of the sharing economy, I think, is container boxes. Because we have a whole market in a thing that just reduces transactions cost. It's not transportation services. It's right. a thing that reduces transportation services. It's a, it's a way of helping to organize a transaction. So instead of having to have an entire container box yourself, I mean, you, you can share it. And the same thing you know, with, uh, I guess, moving companies when they're able to load several loads onto a truck. And, and they don't care what's in the truck, and we don't care what's in the container box, yeah. and Instacart doesn't care what they're delivering. So the, it's, the, it's a service that's generic, but it reduces transactions cost. We're used to thinking of production as the, the core of, of our economy and morale and prosperity, but economic organization is another form of, of transactions. And in fact, new forms of economic organization lower transactions costs and are, again, is probably as much responsible for our, our modern standard of living as the actual production line. The, the fact that the company that was able to organize the production line is just as important because uh, organizations related to transactions cost too, right? Yes, and in fact, I wonder if what's gonna happen, it, it started 20 years ago with the container box, I wonder what's gonna happen over the next 50 years, 50 years, might be a revolution on a par with, I mean, you think of the great economic revolutions. The Neolithic revolution is where we go from hunter-gatherer to agriculture. Mm -hmm. The Industrial Revolution is where you start getting production lines. You start getting machines and division of labor that dramatically reduces production costs. But still, the costs of many transactions are really high because of the transactions cost themselves. Mm -hmm. So the transactions cost revolution, or what I've sometimes called the middleman revolution, where what you're doing is finding way to sell reductions in transactions cost. You're not selling stuff. Companies and very smart people are going to figure out way to sell reductions in transactions cost. This can range from everything from uh, financial uh, processes that allow us to clear transactions more cheaply. So an alternative to credit cards, which right. are not, credit cards are not a very good way of doing this. It's better than having to carry cash. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of other ways that are better. Mm -hmm. So the 
organizations, of, as you said, when you look at that stock exchange, it's kind of funny to, to recognize that the New York Stock Exchange, the most efficient way to sell large amounts of equity is still guys in ugly coats, like this one, uh, shouting at each other on the floor of this exchange and sweating on each other. So, but and the reason is there's no other way to do it with less transactions cost. Mm -hmm. If you can figure out some way to have other transactions at lower cost, we could do even better. But it's this, also the, the as you mentioned, the, the way to make money from reducing transactions. You're costs. selling the reduction in transactions. You're not selling a product. You're selling reduction in transactions cost. So I, I don't think people have thought about this the right way yet. Mm -hmm. The middleman economy is selling reductions in transactions cost. And that uh, the, the role of the middleman here brings up the, the fact that I think you know because people aren't aware of transactions costs and how important they are, they miss a lot of really important economic services in the economy. I mean, some, you know, there's a whole tradition of, of thinking of, of the middlemen in our economy as almost like parasites, leeches, not adding anything. Not almost, they absolutely are. Yeah. They're bad people. <laughs> well, my dad at a time <laughs> in his, his, his career was a middleman, so right. I, I, I learned to, to show some more respect. But, you know, if you don't understand the whole point of, you know, the whole fact of transactions cost, you don't even understand what's going on here. If you're looking only at the, the production of the good, you're saying, like, well, this person's not producing anything. How are they creating any value for our economy? And that's why this picture is so cool. Those guys, for the most part, are not buying and selling stock on their own account. They're brokers. Mm -hmm. All of them are middlemen. It is a remarkably efficient system. The, 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 if you were to pick the hero of the modern economy, it should be the middlemen. So not only are they not bad people, middlemen are people who find a willing buyer and a willing seller, put them together and ensure that a transaction that creates value is consummated. Mm -hmm. That means both parties are better off. Yes, the middleman is better off, but a transaction that wouldn't have taken place takes place. So the, the heroes were the titans of industry, you know, Henry Ford. And the, during the Industrial Revolution, we have this idea of robber barons and the great titans of industry. I think the new heroes should be middlemen. So the, we, what we need to do is recognize people are finding ways to reduce transactions cost. And so one of the examples that I use for this, um, and I think most people, most watchers probably have somewhere up on their shelves a power drill. And if you have a power drill, if you use a power drill for a minute, that's a pretty long time. So I mean, you drill and you drill and you drill in 10 seconds and it, that's done and then you have a screw and you put a screw in another five seconds and you're done. And you do that four times a year. So statistics show that the average total lifetime use of a power drill is 10 minutes. Then that's you know, adding up across all of these yeah. 15 second bursts. Why do you have a power drill? It makes no sense. It would be much easier for you to rent a higher quality power drill, except you'd have to schlep down there, pick one out, pay for it, sign a contract, write out this long thing so that if it's not returned, they have to pay insurance, then go home, use it, and take it back. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. But if I had something like Uber, and it's, so Uber is a company right now that mostly we think of as a taxi company. It's not a taxi company. The fact that it delivers human beings is an accident. What Uber is, is a platform for delivering stuff. And it does it really fast because I have on my phone two things that are really important, my location and my credit card information. I don't have to enter them. And in effect, I have a reputation for having used these. And so I, the, the, any party that's gonna contract with me knows that I'm good for the money and my location is documentable. 
so they can find it. And I say, I want a drill. Uber driver goes, rents a drill, and that is already set up, so they already have an account with the rental company. So again, we don't have to do this. It's not a one-off transaction. Mm -hmm. They do it all the time. Right. Picks up the drill, brings it to my house. 20 minutes, I have the drill. I use it. Half an hour later, I ask for another Uber driver to pick it up and take it back. And so I pay $2, maybe, for this transaction. I'll pay $2 to rent a drill. Mm -hmm. And the Uber drivers, because they're, they're going around so, so quickly and so often, can also make money by doing it. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for us to have mixers. There's all sorts of kitchen equipment that take up space that we don't need, that we could share. So mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of that um, container box. We can share it. We can share it and use it over and over again. What's keeping us from doing it is the transactions cost of delivery and payment and ensuring that it's not damaged. If we, can, if we can have all of those things in my telephone, with my location and my credit card information already there, the guy doesn't have to drive around looking for it. It's in his GPS. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a couple of, uh, I think a couple of companies that have over the last 20 years really reshaped our economy as well, like Amazon and, and eBay, by not necessarily sharing, but allowing us to sell a lot of used items that otherwise By would be very difficult. the brokerage service. Yeah, they the, find the, each other. In effect, a brokerage service. Now, it also happens to be online because it's a way to help trans, uh, reduce the transactions costs. So, and there is technology that's involved in reducing transactions costs, and there is organization, and they sort of have an interplay, right? I think what's interesting, the most interesting thing about the question you just asked, you think about Amazon, it was a book company. Mm -hmm. They sold books. And so you've got this, this series of transitions. Mom and pop bookstore, oh, the poor things. Barnes and Noble's going to kill them. Oh, Barnes and Noble is great. People go there and have coffee. Amazon's going to kill them. Well, Amazon became basically a company that was provided a software uh, superstructure. And Amazon Web Services, AWS, even um, movie companies now use Amazon Web Services. So. Uh, a Flickster, a, a lot of companies that are fighting with Amazon for other reasons use Amazon because that, that web portal to the mm -hmm. world where I can find anything and pay for it and get transportation very quickly are the way to do this. So what I think is interesting is who is going to be, Burns and Noble had Amazon, who's going to go after Amazon? Mm -hmm. I think the answer is Uber. I think Uber is going to be the new delivery service that's going to be able to deliver stuff within half an hour. Instead of Amazon, they've got it down to, to two days. But they have to buy these services uh, for delivery from some other company. Whereas right. Uber is a ready-made delivery company. But instead of delivering human butts, they're going to be delivering all sorts of other products. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, Amazon might be able to use some uh, drones to help to deliver their packages. But they'd have to own them. The nice yeah. thing about Uber is they've got surge pricing. So they've got a, a pop-up army of delivery people whenever you need them who also have other lives. So buying a drone isn't as good as being able to rent an mm -hmm. Uber driver. Uber has a really great advantage because the supply-side response from surge pricing gives them an enormous advantage in all sorts of things. So yes, drones, make, it sounds like fun, but having that surge pricing algorithm is, I think Uber's going to kill Amazon. And that prognostication may or may not come true, but with the really important thing so I'm is I'm an economist. That, I predict the past. I'm not so good <laughs> yeah. at the future. But the, the important thing is that we have these uh, companies that we've harnessed to uh, 
try to reduce these transactions costs and to do whatever they can and to think creatively about how can you use new technology, old technology, new ways of organizing things to try to make our lives better, to try to allow these transactions to take place that otherwise couldn't. All right? and, and just very briefly, I want to mention that many economists haven't, uh, haven't uh, dwelled on transactions costs because in many circumstances we ignore transactions costs, especially in introductory treatments because they treat them almost like a friction. But you know, a couple of economists who won Nobel Prizes, Ronald Coase and, and Doug North, have uh, <clears throat> helped introduce the idea of transactions and showed its very significant implications for our economy as well, right? Yes, and it's interesting that both of them are viewed as kind of heterodox economists. Neither of them is, the thing is it's hard to teach transactions cost because it's like friction. So usually when you study physics, the whole first time through you're looking at the physics of frictionless surfaces. And that's fine unless you want to make a car. <laughs> If you actually want to make something that runs, you need to study friction. Yeah. So if you want to make a market that runs, the main thing you should be concerned about is transactions cost. So I don't think, I was a student of Douglas North. Um, at, at first, I was a pretty regular economist. It took me a while to come around. I, I believe that Douglas North's insights about transactions cost are going to take us a long time really fully to appreciate many institutions, many things that we see in society around us. The explanation for their existence and persistence is their effect on transactions cost, is reducing transactions cost. Well, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you very much. It was an enjoyable conversation. And thank you for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. It was a pleasure. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University.